0: The scripture reading today comes from Deuteronomy 4:15 through 24, and 32 through 40. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to the heaven and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of? Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire." and because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance, as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask your blessing upon us this morning as we consider your words to us. We ask that in your words we would find you. They would we would find your life for us. We would find your promises to us to be true we would find your very presence to be with us. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was considering where to go to college, uh, I was offered a scholarship at a very, very small university to play soccer. And so I went on a visit, and when I met the coach and experienced a little bit about the program one thing became abundantly clear to me. This program was going to ask everything of me for the next four years. This soccer program was going to demand my four to six a.m. hours. This program was going to demand my energies. It was going to demand my very best academically. It was asking me to be all in. If I wanted to play soccer in college, it was going to be the overwhelming center of my life for the next four years. And so I felt like I was faced with a question. Uh, One, do I trust that this is a good place to spend the next four years of my life? And two, is it really that compelling? Do I want to play soccer that badly to go all in with this program? Uh, For me at that time, the answer happened to be no. I decided not to play soccer, went to a different university, had a great experience. But that resonates with me as I think about this passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We've been studying the book of Deuteronomy, and we will for the coming three months or so. And Deuteronomy is a covenant renewal opportunity for God's people. Moses has led them to the brink of the promised land. They're standing on the Jordan River looking into the land that God had promised. And Moses, their leader, is pleading with them, give yourselves to your God. Go all in with Him. He's offering to be our God. We can be His people, and that's what Deuteronomy is all about. If you want to live a fruit-bearing life for yourself and for your neighbors and for your city, you need to be all in in your relationship with your God. He is the source, not only of salvation, but of an abundant life for you that translates into a fruit-bearing life for those around you. But you've got to go all in. It's grace. It's a gift from God to be his people. But as his people, he's going to ask an awful lot of us. And we'll see in Deuteronomy that he asked an awful lot of Israel. It was for their good. But he was asking for everything, for their very lives, for their loyalty, for their time, for their energies, for their resources. He wants their desire. He wants their purpose. He wants their everything. And you know what? He wants that from us as well here at Grace and Peace Austin. He's inviting us to be his people and to live in that abundance for the good of our city. And to do that we respond by being all in with him. And so we ought to ask the question, and maybe you are, if I'm going to be all in with this God, can I trust him? And is he compelling to me? So much so that I can't not give my life to him. And that's what we find here in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. Before We get into the details of what it means and what it looks like to be God's people with the commandments and the ways that the commandments play themselves out in the life of Israel then. And before we consider what that might look like for us here in Austin in the 21st century, we get invited to take another look at who God is for us. He is trustworthy. He is compelling. And He's confident. That if we explore his very nature, we will find him to be worthy. And we will go all in with him. Recommitting ourselves to relationship with him. The the center of this rhythm is found in verses 39 and 40. You can turn there with me if you'd like. Moses says to God's people then and to God's people now, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above And on the earth beneath, there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. He doesn't start with, you should keep the statutes and commandments. He starts with, know this about God. He is God. There is no other. And because of that, give yourself to him. Double down. Go all in. So we're going to do a little bit of that work together this morning uh, with two questions. How can we know, excuse me, first question, what can we know about God in Deuteronomy 4? What can we know? And then the second question is, how can we know? What can we know about God? How can we know? First, what can we know? We find at least three things. There's an abundance of resource to dig into who God is in this just one chapter, but we see at least this. That God is powerful, that he is present, and that he is personal. What do we know about God? We know that he's powerful, we know that he's present, and we know that he is personal. One commentator in reflecting on this passage said that the force of this material is to have us admit that God is incomparable and even incomprehensible. He is incomparable. The weight of this screams to us, he is God, and there is no other. You could think of Muhammad Ali back in his heyday, right? After he had beat George Foreman or or Frazier or one of the greats, and he's dancing around, I am the greatest, I am the greatest. And if you watched him in his craft, he really was, at that time, the greatest. And he was boasting. But nobody, no being in the universe, can boast the way that God can boast, I am indeed the greatest. There is no one more powerful than the God of Israel. He is incomparable and transcendent in His majesty, and He's not afraid to admit it. Moses says on God's behalf, Ask now of all the days that are past, all the way back to the beginning. Ask from one side of the world to the other. Has there ever been any God who has done anything like this? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is no. And Moses walks God's people through the ways that God is indeed so powerful. He reminds them in verse 15. That God had delivered them from Egypt. And he took them out into the wilderness. And they came to Horeb, to Mount Sinai. And there God is present. And Moses says, you didn't see him, but you heard him. And you saw the fire. And you saw the smoke. And you remember? Moses says, you remember what you made me do? You wouldn't go near him. Because he was so powerful. Moses, we can't go up on the mountain to see Yahweh because we will surely die in the face of his transcendence. You go for us. And maybe if you come down, then we'll follow him. But we're not going up there. He's too powerful. He's too great for us. This was the paradigm-making event for Israel. They would reflect over and over and over in their history when they wanted to remind themselves of just how great and powerful their God was. Hey, remember Mount Sinai? The smoke And the fire, that was intense. That was our powerful God. Moses goes on to list all the lesser idols that we often are tempted to give our allegiance to, to go all in with instead of this God. And did you catch that list as Jennifer read it? Did it sound familiar to you? He says, don't give yourself to the likeness of image bearers, male and female. Don't give yourself to the animals of the earth, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. Don't lift your eyes up to the heavens and see and worship. He's recounting for them all the created things that this God had made in the beginning. And he's saying, in essence, why would you worship the things when you could worship the God who made the things. Yes, human beings made in God's image are unbelievable, remarkable, amazing. Like look at the person sitting next to you, behind you. What a fantastic creature. But you know what, you don't want to worship that person, much less the likeness of that person. Worship the God who made that person. That's the great God. Yes, the stars are unbelievable. We had the opportunity this summer to be at the Grand Canyon with no moon and to look up in the skies and see the stars. Phenomenal. Why would you worship an image of stars or even the stars themselves, Moses asked, when you could give your life to the one who created the stars? He is the all-powerful creator God. And He is yours. So the first thing that we're meant to see in this passage is that God is above us. He is beyond us. We can know Him, but in some ways we'll never be able to fully know Him because He's incomprehensible in His wondrous power. But Moses doesn't stop there. He says, not only is this God who is asking you to give yourself to him powerful, but he's also present. He's also present. And this makes sense because if God is powerful, but he's way out there somewhere, then that doesn't really help us all that much, does it? When we moved into our house right here in Allendale, it's an older house, and the outlets are the two-pronged outlets. You know what I'm talking about? Like the homes that haven't been rewired, they don't have the grounding plug, so it's just the two prongs and the outlets. And all of our cords have the three prongs. And it was so maddening because we're trying to plug in all our devices and the power was right there, but we couldn't access it. So frustrating. It's one thing for God to be powerful, but if we have no access to that power, well then, it may not be the God that we want to give our lives to, right? If God is powerful, but He's not present with us, if He hasn't drawn near, if He is distant, if He's removed from our daily lives, if He's uninterested in what we're doing in our day today, if He's unaffected by our challenges and our plights, then is He the God that we want to give our lives to, Friends, this is in so many ways the materialist moment in our culture, right? If God exists, and we're not really sure He does, He's way out there because He's not present in our lives, right? What you see is what you get, and I don't see God. That's the culture of our moment, and it's a challenge, Julian Barnes is a British author. He wrote a book, Nothing to Be Frightened Of. It's essentially his reflections about living life in a world without God. And he begins his book this way, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. In other words, I want to be able to believe in God. I want a God who is powerful and has drawn near. But according to Julian Barnes and his experience, he's, he's not here. He's not present, He's not in my life, and what good is He for me? But friends, is that truly the picture of our experience? Is it the picture that we have in the Scriptures as God reveals Himself to us? In Deuteronomy chapter 4, we find a God who is powerful and He has drawn near. He is present with His people. He is Elohim, God, the God of the heavens, and he is Yahweh, the God who has attached himself to a people in their circumstances and in their lives. Remember, Moses says, remember, you heard him. He was right there with us at Mount Sinai, present. It says he brought our fathers and our mothers out of Egypt He wasn't so distant that he couldn't hear their cries. Exodus 3 says the very opposite, that God heard the cries of his people because he was close enough to hear them. He heard and he cared and he came and he entered in and he acted present with them. As Moses talks about the events of Israel, he talks as if God is there with them, doing all the work for them that needs to be done for them to be able to live full and fulfilling and fruit bearing lives, because that's exactly the reality of who God is. He's the God who comes right down into the middle of our lives and is present and active. He's powerful, he's present, and he's also personal. I went with personal because I'm a pastor and it's alliteration and there's three and so it works. Uh, But what I mean is God is a God who is present for His people. He's relational in a way that communicates a for-you-ness. He is present and He's good. And friends, this is the crux of it all. The question your neighbor is asking, if they're asking a question of God at all, is... Sure, he may be powerful and maybe he's involved in our lives, but if he is, is he good? Is he for me? And maybe that's the question that you're asking in your life as you experience the challenges of circumstance. Maybe tragedy is going on in your life right now. Maybe it's the tragedy that just looks like a sick child trying to get back to school on Monday morning, or maybe it's a tragedy of much greater magnitude in your life. But you're experiencing the challenge, and you're asking the question, God, if you're powerful and if you're here, are you good? Are you for me? Right, Kids, your schools talk to you a lot about bullying, don't they? Because it can be a real thing. And can you imagine that you go back to school and you're hanging out at the playground with a couple of friends, and you see the gang coming, right? And it's the gang of the big kids. And let's be honest, they're kind of scary looking. And they're coming right over to you. And they're powerful. And they're present. And what are you asking? Are they coming to squash me like a bug? Or are they coming because they want to play handball with me? And that's a big question. And it makes all the difference, right? God, if you're powerful and you're present, well, are you good? Are you for me? What do we find in Deuteronomy chapter 4? We find a God who has come and he is redeeming. He's redeeming. He's delivering his people. He's drawing near to release them from enslavement. And maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for quite a while. And you've heard the story of Israel's exodus and deliverance from Egypt. And maybe it just washes over you. This was the generation, the second generation, after their forefathers and mothers had been enslaved for 400 years. I was trying to figure that out. Like 20 generations or so. Think of that. 20 generations of brutalizing, dehumanizing, enslavement. And God enters in and He delivers. That's how God comes to be near. He comes to be near to deliver us from our messes, whether they're of the making of somebody else or, or they are of our own making. He is near us as a redeeming God. He is near us as a providing God. Not only does he take them out of Egypt, right, he takes them into the wilderness and says, hey, I'm going to keep taking you, and I'm going to get you to this land. It's a good land. It's an abundant land, and I'm giving it to you as your inheritance. He is a providing God. He is a God of abundance. He is the God who created all things. And he's saying, I'm giving you this good thing. It's for you. You didn't earn it, but I want you to have it because that's the God I am. And there's plenty for everyone. He's a generous God of abundance, providing them an inheritance of the land. Verse 21, he's a God, to put a word to it, who loves his people. Is he for you? He's for you. He loves you. He says, I loved your fathers, and I brought you here, not because you were the prettiest people I've ever seen, not because you were the most powerful people I'd ever seen, not because of anything in you, but just because, well, just because, just because I love you. That's who I am. I'm drawing near to you, To love you. Verse 20 says that Israel was God's very inheritance. Think again for a moment with me. You are a refugee people, you have been enslaved for 400 years, you have nothing, and God gives you everything. And He says, This is your inheritance how much would you delight in that inheritance? I can't even imagine. I don't even know what to compare that to. God giving you the greatest and deepest desire of your heart as your inheritance. And he says, as much as you delight in that, I delight more in you. That's phenomenal. God draws near to us as those in whom he delights We are his very inheritance. God says, if you could give me anything, not that there's anybody who could give me anything, I'll take my people. Because I love you. I delight in you. Moses even says, God loves you so much, he's a jealous God, an all-consuming fire. And this one strikes us as a little bit odd, doesn't it? As we're trying to catalog the lists of all the beautiful ways that God draws near to us to be for us, that he's jealous. But think about it for a moment. Jealousy can be the positive language of love, right? If you're married to somebody, imagine you're on your honeymoon. You don't want to share them with anybody else, especially in the most deep and intimate of ways. And you shouldn't, right? Right? Because you've just entered into a relationship of deep intimacy and commitment and love. And of course you're jealous for one another. God says, I love you so much, I'm jealous of you. I'm not going to give you to any other God. For you to give your deepest self away to that thing? No. You're mine. Friends, Israel is on the brink of the land to go in and to be God's people, to go all in with Him. And we have that very opportunity as a congregation here at Grace and Peace. He's saying, You can trust me. In fact, if you'll spend time getting to know me, what you will find is that I am God and there is no other. I am the greatest powerful, I'm present, and I'm personal for you. So, friends, if that's a little bit of who God is for us, might we ask the question now, how can we come to know Him? How can we get to know Him in such a way that we trust Him and that we are pulled and compelled and drawn in by the Lord, His presence into relationships? with Him. And we can learn some things here in Deuteronomy. Now, the first way is this. Read our Bibles. Read our Bibles. God is the God of creation. Psalm 19 says we can know Him when we look at the heavens, and we can know Him truly, but we can't know Him fully. We can't know the depth of His nature and His love for us just by looking around us and the world at large. He's given us true stories about him so that we can know him and that's what the bible is it is the story of god's self-revelation to us and for us so that we can be part of him for the good of the rest of the world and we're in deuteronomy we're in one chapter in deuteronomy and we didn't even read every single verse in deuteronomy 4 All right how can we come to know god we read the bible And we read all of it. Not just the New Testament and the good parts about Jesus that we love so much, but the Old Testament too. We read Deuteronomy 4. We read Leviticus and Amos. We read those books of the Bible that maybe we've never noticed before. We read all of it because it's a treasure trove filled with the revelation of God himself. And so... We read, read the whole Bible, read it regularly. Friends, we skipped across the surface of these attributes and actions of God on our behalf this morning, and each one of these things we could dive deeper into. And if we did, it would be a bottomless well of abundance of knowledge of who God is. God says you can get all the way down as deep as you could possibly go, and there will still be more of me to give to you. You will never be able to exhaust your knowledge of who I am for you. But man, it would be fun to try, wouldn't it? To get together and to think about God as a jealous God and to study that and to reflect upon that and to ask together, well, what does that mean? And how does that help me trust this God and give my life to him. So we should read the Bible. We should read it deeply. We should read it regularly. We should read it together. Moses has all Israel standing at the promised land hearing the stories of God. We should read it with some direction. Moses is helping them understand what this has to do with their lives, and that's a good thing because the Bible can be challenging to understand how what was happening in an ancient culture of God's people has relevance for our lives today. And so we should receive guidance. If you're reading the Bible on your own, get a good study Bible. I'd be happy to recommend one that's trustworthy, that can help you understand who God is as we read. Certainly read it together. Study it on Sunday mornings in our parish groups. Come to the men's Monday breakfast as we work it out together. So how can we know Him read the Bible? How can we know God as the powerful, present, and personal God? We need to read Jesus. We need to learn to read Jesus, who is the fullest and the final revelation of God for His people. Right? You want to know how powerful God is? Well, the Bible says you look at Jesus. Jesus who defeated not just the pharaohs of the ancient Near Eastern world, but he defeated the very powers of sin and death and hell itself. He defeated not only the oppressors that are coming to you from the outside, but he's defeating the sin that is eating you up from the inside. He's defeated it all. And he rose from the grave. How powerful is God? He rose from the grave. He's defeated death for you. He's inviting you into life, not just for the next 40 years, but for eternity with him. How present is God? Well, how present is Jesus, who left the party of heaven to come and to take on our flesh, to take on our sin, to live our life, to pay our price. He came all the way into the very mess of our lives, as close as he could get, and he took and bore all the pain and all the punishment. How close is God? Through faith in Jesus, his spirit is actually present in and with us. He can't get any closer than he is. He's united to you. You are united to him through faith. How for you is God? Well, how for you is Jesus? The Son of Man came not to serve, but not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for you. He who did not spare his only Son, but gave him as a gift for us, how will He not also give us every good thing? Friends, you want to be able to read God, we need to learn how to read Jesus. And not just read Jesus in the New Testament, but read Jesus in Deuteronomy. Jesus says that the whole scriptures were written about me and are pointing to me. And so when you study Deuteronomy, you're studying me. What an amazing opportunity we have to learn together how to read Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy in the coming weeks. Friends, how can we know God? Read the Bible, read Jesus, read your own story. Moses is telling Israel their story. And it's your story through faith in Jesus. And so as you learn the ancient story, it's your story, but you can also look at your lived experience. And maybe with the help of a friend sitting next to you, you can see that God's fingerprints are all over your life with power, present, and for your good. Friends, we're going to come to the table in just a moment. And we're going to be invited, not just to remember the story of Jesus giving his life for us, but to participate in it. To take bread and participate in an act of Jesus giving himself for us. And to drink a little bit of grape juice or a little bit of wine. And to participate in the story of God giving his life for us in Jesus. And we can know him once again. And then, and then we get sent out as his people. Bearing fruit for Austin, for our neighbors, for our classmates, for our friends. Let's pray. Jesus, even as we get little tastes and glimpses of who you are, we recognize that there's so much more of you. And we want to know you. We want to experience you. We do want to trust you and be compelled by your very person and we know we need to give our lives to you and so help us to find you trustworthy and beautiful even as we worship right now we pray it in your name amen